sermon that you're about to hear is from Pastor Paul Borman at Hope Lutheran Church, located in Tigard, Oregon. For more information and for more content, go to hopeintigard.com. We are continuing on with our series, Walking Our Way Through the Book of Matthew. Today, we look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 30. I'll ask you to please stand for the gospel lesson, and I'll ask you to join me in acclaiming that gospel after we read. Jesus said, To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, He has a demon. And the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, He is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon and on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned it and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. This is the gospel of the Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. What's unbelief? I want to answer that question gently but firmly today. And I want to begin this message here with a little bit of a preface. And the preface is this. If you are someone who is sitting here today who does not believe. Please know I'm going to speak firmly and directly to you, and I'm going to do that because I love you. And I'm going to do that because that's what Jesus did. 
And if you're someone who's here this morning who, who believes in Jesus but has a lot of doubts banging around inside your head, I'm going to speak to you directly because I want to help you to wrestle those doubts to the ground. And if you are a believer here who has absolutely no doubts in your head, if there are any of those among us, I want to build you in your faith. And I want to equip you to answer the doubts of others. What's unbelief? Let's dive in. Jesus answers that question by asking a question of his own. He begins this text by asking, to what can I compare this generation? That's him asking, to what can I compare the unbelief that is going on right now? And he reaches out and he grabs a simile uh, so that he can make a comparison that we can see uh, what unbelief looks like. He said, unbelief is like a group of kids in the marketplace who are pouting. And they have uh, their friends come up to them and they say, I'll play you a song, I'll play you a happy song so that we can dance together and we can be joyful together. And the pouting kids say, no, I don't want to be happy. And so their friends say, okay, well, I'll play you a dirge. I'll play you a funeral march, and we'll play funeral together. We'll act sad together, and we'll have fun together that way. And the pouting kids say, no, I don't want to be sad either. That's what Jesus says our unbelief is like. He says when it comes to our unbelief, we have everything in front of us. God has given us everything that we need. He has gifted it to us. We just don't want it. The context of these verses, Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, right? John the Baptist had come into the world, and, and his purpose was to prepare the way for the Lord. And, and the way he did that is he, he called out to people to repent. He said, repent, turn from your ways, be baptized, prepare your heart for Jesus. And, and, and by and large, the people said, no, we don't want to feel sad about our sins. Jesus reflected on what the people said about John the Baptist. They said, he has a demon. And then God sent Jesus into the world because he wanted his people to know that their sins are forgiven. He wanted them to know that in Jesus' sacrifice, they could have joy. And the people didn't want that either. Jesus reflected on what people were saying about him. They, they were calling him a glutton and a drunkard. They didn't want to be sad about their sins. They didn't want to have joy that their sins were forgiven. They just wanted to be angry. He compares that kind of unbelief to a child. And I don't think we have to imagine super far-fetched scenario. Maybe you even lived this before if you've, if you've had kids. You're in Fred Meyer, and you have a two-year-old sitting in, this, in, the, in the cart who has just asked for the most sugary, most colored cereal in the aisle, and you said no. And the kid is just screaming. And you can try to give them good things. You can tell them about the, the really good cereal that you picked out, or, or you can tell them, you know, you need to be quiet. You need to be quiet right now, and that's not going to work. The kid is just going to be mad. It's not about what's in front of us. It's about being mad, right? That's what Jesus says about our unbelief. I told you I was going to speak to you directly, and that's what Jesus does. Jesus says, point blank, unbelief, 
your unbelief is childishness. It's childishness. And that's, I think that's so interesting that Jesus made that comparison, right? Because normally an unbeliever will position themselves as the adult in the room, as the mature one in the room. You know, normally, from an unbeliever's perspective, I am the one who is being brave and courageous for facing the reality of the world and still being okay. I am the adult. I am brave. You are the one that needs to have something to comfort you in hard times. I don't need that. I'm the adult. When what Jesus says is the exact opposite, that, that what the unbeliever is missing is, is they're not facing the reality of sin and the fact that sin is punished. Unbelief, it's not being the adult in the room, it's being childish. That's what Jesus says. You know, you can take the example of someone who, who does not believe that there is a God, who is an atheist because of the way they look at the world and they see that if there was a God, there would not be this much suffering. Right? And you, you can go back and forth about them and they'll still hold that position even though you can give them every good reason to see otherwise, right? You can talk to them about how suffering in this world, who is it caused by? It's caused by humans. We cause all the suffering in the world and, and, and actually what God did is he entered into the world so that he could make suffering make sense. And he actually suffered so that suffering will end. You know, you can talk about those things, but it won't matter. Because likely that person just wants to be angry with God. Unbelief is not about being brave or, or being the adult in the room. It's, it's being childish. That's what Jesus says. And we actually have a surprising ally in that point. There's a, an unbelieving philosopher by the name of David Hume. Um, and David Hume says that most people who claim to be true atheists, who believe that there is not a God, aren't actually true atheists. And his thesis is this, that, that most people spend, most atheists spend a whole lot of time trying to convince people that God does not exist. And David Hume would say, if you really didn't believe in God, you wouldn't care. And so he, he would say that, that people who are fighting so hard, talking so much about the non-existence of God, are actually working really hard to convince themselves that what they're saying is true. You know, we can see that Unbelief is not bravery. It's childishness. That's what Jesus says. What's unbelief? Jesus says it's childishness. It's, it's more, too. Jesus says that, that there's a, a willfulness to it. Now, we can talk about it like this. I've heard this said a few times in my life. I've actually read it in a couple articles, too, that Christians will say that the difference between a believer and an unbeliever is that believers are able to believe a lot easier than an unbeliever, and so that's kind of what makes the difference. Wrong. <laughs> right, what, what that is saying is that Christians are just more gullible than everybody else, and that's not what Jesus teaches at all. 
What Jesus teaches is that everyone believes something. Jesus teaches that there is no such thing as absolute unbelief in the world. Everyone believes in something. It just might not be Jesus. We all believe in something that makes our life worth living. It just might not be the Savior of the world. And Jesus says there's willfulness to that. That's why he brings up Capernaum. You know, we, we, we know a little bit about Capernaum, that that was a place that, that we can pretty safely assume knew about the law. And so they could know that if I do these things, I can earn favor with God. And so you can hear Jesus lamenting in this text. He's saying, Capernaum, what's going on? I came to you, I, I, I healed your people, I preached, I taught, I showed you my power, Capernaum. What's going on? Why don't you believe? If I had done these same miracles and teach, taught this same teaching in Tyre and Sidon, they would have believed. They would have repented in sackcloth. What's going on, Capernaum? They're willfully denying what God has done. And, you know, you can think about it like this, maybe. Unbelief does not come from a lack of proof. It comes from denying the proof. Capernaum had all of the evidence that they would ever have needed to know that Jesus was the Son of God. They saw it with their own eyes, and they did not want it. Does a a Buddhist person have tangible evidence that what they do and what they believe will will get them into an afterlife? No. Does an atheist have tangible proof that God does not exist? No. Did Capernaum have any, any evidence that they were able to do enough to earn favor with God? No. Do we have evidence to know that Jesus is going to do what he said he's going to do? Yes. Jesus has risen from the dead. He has risen from the dead. You know, I want to illustrate this. This is an amazing story that's always stuck in the back of my head. Before I became a pastor, I spent a whole year of internship in Washington, D.C., and my uh, supervising pastor told me this story during that year that he had a friend who went on a tour of the Holy Land. He went to Israel, and, and he hooked up with a tour system that took him to all the places that Jesus did all of the miracles. And on each stop, the tour guide, a thoughtful Jewish man, would tell them exactly what happened and where they think it happened. And he told each story from the perspective of someone who believes that what happened actually happened. And so my pastor's friend, he got really curious about this, and he asked him, you know, I'm hearing you tell these stories like you think that those things really happened. Do you think these things happened? Do you think Jesus did these miracles? And the tour guide said, yes. I've lived here my whole life. I've dedicated my career to this. I am a logical man, and I know that Jesus did these miracles. I can prove it all. And so the the friend, he, he, he asked one more question. He said, what about the resurrection from the dead? And the tour guide said, yes. 
I believe that too. There is so much proof that you can stack up that Jesus did rise from the dead. And so the, the friend, he asked one more question and he said, so you believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the whole world? And the man said, no. So what is Jesus? Who is Jesus then? Well, he was a radical rabbi that God gave some special miracles to so that people could see that God is powerful. You know, unbelief is not about proof sitting in front of us. Unbelief is, is denying the proof. Unbelief is that thing that happens in our hearts. I want you to know today, that you have all of the evidence that you need to know that Jesus will raise you to life. He has risen from the dead. You can look that up. You can go study it. Believe it. I told you I was going to answer that question, what's unbelief? I, I told you I was going to answer it firmly, Now I want to just glory in the teaching of Jesus with you. What Jesus does after teaching us about unbelief, about, after mourning about the cities that would not repent, what Jesus does is he invites us. He says, come to me. He doesn't say, go out into your life and, and work a great work for me. He doesn't say, go out into your life and journey for me. He says, come to me. And he says, come to me, all of you. That's inclusive. It's not exclusive. It's everyone in the world. Come to me, all of you. And he says, come to me with your burdens and your weariness. Don't come to me when you have everything figured out. Come to me when you are weary. Come to me when you're burdened, when you're broken, when you're frustrated, when you're dealing with unbelief. Come to me. And here's why. I will give you rest. Can we glory in that together? That this is what Christianity is about. This is the only place that we can find rest. This is the only way you become unburdened in your heart. It is the only place that you can find that heart-level rest that we all know our hearts are searching for. That in Christ, and only in Christ, in his death, in his resurrection, through his sacrifice, you can rest. You know, our church is almost two years old from the time we started worshiping. Did you know that this is why we called our church Hope? It's because we know that life is real. We know that in life there, are, there is weariness, there are burdens, there is suffering, there is pain, there is frustration, and we know that there is even more real hope for our real lives.
And we know it only comes through Jesus. So here's the call. Jesus rephrases what he said. He says, take my yoke upon you. My burden is light. I'd never really thought about it like this. You know, I always think about, you know, you're supposed to go to Jesus and, and give him your burdens and give him your sin. And, and you always think about it that, okay, I give him my stuff and then I go free. But the image that Jesus has for us here is that we stay yoked together with him. And I want to tell you how rest comes through that yoked together image. See, when we're yoked together with Jesus, when we're yoked together to his love, when we trust him with our lives, when we pursue after his law, when we love him with our whole heart, what happens is that everything that is ours becomes his. And everything that is his becomes ours. So the sins that we were carrying around become his. And the forgiveness that he won on the cross becomes ours. And the brokenness in our hearts that characterized our lives becomes his. And the salvation and the victory that he won that characterizes his life becomes ours. You get rid of your sins, and Jesus carries them. You give him your death, and he buries it. He dies, and you live. And you stay a little child in your heart. And he remains the adult in the room. <laughs> Responsible for everything. So rest in him. You have everything you need to blow up the unbelief in your heart. You know, when your sins bother you, look at the cross. And know that it was on the cross that your sins were forgiven. And, and if you're starting to feel like the brokenness in your life and the brokenness in the world is going to overwhelm you, look at the cross. And remember that it was by the cross that Jesus overcame the world. And when you look at your life, and all you can see is pain and, and suffering in the world, remember that it was by the cross that Jesus redeemed suffering. And it was because of the cross, because of his suffering there, Suffering will end. I want to leave you with this. You want to know how to blow up the unbelief in your heart? How to get rid of it forever? Stare at the unconditional love of Jesus. Where else will you find a love like this? 
everywhere else in the world, you gotta be something. You gotta do something, not with Jesus. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. In Him, there is rest. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, what else can I say right now that by faith I come to you and I bear to you all the weariness and the burdens that are in this room right now? We thank you that you have invited us to come to you. And we thank you that in you we find a heart that is gentle and kind all the way through. We ask that you help us by the Spirit that you have put it to work inside of us, that through him you bring all of us to a stronger faith in you. We pray this in your great name. Amen.